Coming up, hell is for children, booze is for drinking, and life is for living. Plus, old friends, new surprises, and enough bad words for you to share with your children. Hang on, acolytes, shit's about to get real. Welcome back to Kiss the Goat. Let's consider the horror movies that delve into the supernatural realm with a particular focus on demonic activity. with salt yeah throw in some red brick dust just for good measure and light the black candles let us commence with this ritual of sound this is episode 35 of kiss the goat and welcome to it hey before we go any further let's all clasp hands and peer beyond the veil as we uh well as we change some shit up For the longest time, Kiss the Goat has had a strong affinity with the wonderful B-movie actor John Carradine. He served us well as the patron saint of spilled drinks and terrible dialogue, which really are two elements that pretty much sum up a majority of what Kiss the Goat is about. But the time for St. John's watchful eye over us has come to an end. We thank him most heartily for his service, and he has indeed served us well, but now... It is time to elect a new patron saint for Kiss the Goat. Someone who always understood what we were attempting to do here. Someone who supported us even when it seemed impossible. And since Cootie and I are both popes in the fine Discordian tradition we both strictly adhere to sometimes, we have jointly decided to canonize a new saint. Someone who probably wouldn't have wanted the job if we had offered it to him. Please stand with your hand over your heart as we make this official. Let it be known from this point forward that the patron saint of Kiss the Goat is our former news correspondent, Cindy Sinfallon. We shall invoke her name for every episode, and in that way, we will never forget. Do you really think Sin would have wanted to be a saint? Ah, good point. How, how about we make her our anti-saint? <laughs> that's good that's even funnier than making her a saint do we have to do a black mass or something ah, got it covered well shit that was easy you're married to a pope baby we'll be back in a minute kids Clytus, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? An obscure body in the SK system, Your Majesty. The inhabitants refer to it as the planet Earth. How peaceful it looks. Most 
most effective, Your Majesty. Will you destroy this earth? Destroy it utterly. Send Rick and Danny in wool rocket Ajax. So, just destroy it? That's what Ming said. Don't you ever listen? Well, there's no arguing with Ming. Hail Ming. Wait! You see those transmissions on the visual screen? Crow? Nightmare on Elm Street? Chud 2? Black Belt Jones? Nightbreed? What's a critter? Oh, I've seen those things. Flash? I guess we could wait a while before the destruction. Yeah, and watch the movies. And talk about them. The Helming Power Hour. Disobedience to Ming. For now. You can find us at Legion Podcast. You can find us on Facebook. iTunes. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. At www. You know what? Just Google it for yourself. Just Google it, you bastages. Helming. Breaking two? Electric Boogaloo? Samurai Cop? Army of Darkness? Flash Dance? <laughs> <laughs> we might destroy the planet if it's Flash Dance. We're back! And we want you to slip on your spandex, grab a shake weight in one hand and a crucifix in the other, because it's time to get your exercise. It's the power of Christ that compels you. The power of Christ compels you. That the power of Christ compels you. 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 Are you sick? Are you miserable? Are you crippled? The power of bullshit compels you. Now, in this new segment, we're going to pick one of our favorite exorcisms and walk everybody through it. So, you might be asking yourself, why do we have favorite exorcisms? When the real question is, why don't you? (laughs) This this episode's exorcism is facilitated by Bob Larson. A famous charlatan and huckster. He's one of those guys who's so full of shit his eyes are brown. Larson's been an anti-rock and roll crusader, televangelist, pastor, and when all of those things stopped being lucrative, he rebranded himself as an exorcist. And even though he identifies as a non-denominational Protestant, he has taken to wearing the collar of a Catholic priest since beginning his exorcism career. Chameleon much? Now, look, on one level, I appreciate Larson. I think he's got balls. He's got chutzpah. And once he goes into exorcism mode, he is on point. He is right there. He's a showman. Yeah, but on every other level, Bob Larson is a shitstorm. He's making loads of money off of people who need help that he absolutely cannot provide. He fully admits in an interview that he has exercised one person 50 times. I mean, do you think that shit was free? Do you think Bob Larson charges on a sliding scale? Does Blue Cross even cover the casting out of demons? 
<laughs> let's get let's get into this episode session as Bob Larson verbally abuses a woman, speaks about her derisively to her face, and eventually claims to be getting rid of for reasons that are never made clear. The Aztec god Quetzalcoatl. <laughs> What were your first name? Victoria. Victoria. Okay. Is how old are you? Thirty-one. Thirty-one. Married or single? Single. Ever been married? No. No. Any children? Yes. How many? Two. Have you broken the curse of illegitimacy on the children? No. How old are they? Fourteen and seven. Fourteen and seven. Okay. I'm not passing moral judgments on you, but it's a spiritual principle. You have to break that curse of illegitimacy. Oh, oh. You know, when somebody says they are not passing moral judgment on you you can be absolutely sure that they are passing moral judgment on you. All of the judgment. Okay, we're going to break that. Okay? What you tell me, what's the worst thing that ever happened to you in life, besides having two illegitimate children and being rejected? Well, I've been raped by demons before. I'm not here to drag all the bad stuff out of your life. But the point is, these are the ways that the Jezebel spirit gets in. And any time a woman is targeted with sexual abuse, there's always a Jezebel spirit in the family bloodline. Okay. Larson believes that a demon named Jezebel is the most prevalent in the world. And he often looks for her in, in basically everyone that he deals with. Oh, you've got the demon of Jezebel. Now, what's interesting here is that he tells the woman that it is her family's fault that she's been sexually assaulted. Because blaming the victim, that is the love of God. Hmm. Victoria? Yeah. Want to get free? Yes. Look at me, Victoria. By the sword of the Spirit, I divide soul and spirit. I divide the part of this woman who knows the Lord. You know the Lord? Jezebel, don't you go back to her ancestors? That's why she was tormented. So we're going to break that curse, Jezebel. Would you say, I, Victoria? Hi, Victoria. Break this curse. Break this curse. Of Jezebel. Of Jezebel. And all her kind. And all her kind. I go back. I go back. To the root of this curse. To the root of this curse. To my ancestors. To my ancestors. Keep your eyes on me. So now he's going back to the ancestors, which makes total sense. You know, like if your great, great, great grandfather worships spiders, so will you. You will have no choice. No control over your fate. Say in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I renounce the spirit. I renounce the spirit. Quetzalcoatl. 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 You said it right. And all the blood sacrifices. And all the blood sacrifices. It were done to that God. And that were done to that God. How the fuck did he make the leap from Jezebel to Quetzalcoatl? Show your work! Right? On behalf of Jezebel. On behalf of Jezebel. You know, Quetzalcoatl, I know you're there. And I know you're there, Jezebel. So at this point in the video, there's a subtitle that says Quetzalcoatl is the equivalent of Lucifer in the Christian culture. No... It isn't. It's a fucking Larry Cohen movie about a monster that eats sunbathers and lives in the top of the Chrysler building. I'm going to take the sword of the spirit and stick it through you just to get your attention. <laughs> get 
get out of the way, just go away now, let this thing get up and face me. Get up. Get up. Get up! Get up, Jezebel, and quit some water. If she's got Aztec blood, we know what's back there, don't we? Huh? Blood. Lots of blood. You've got Aztec blood. Now, is that racist? Is that like calling her a mudblood? Is she a muggle? I don't understand why. Okay. You've tried to rape this woman. You've molested her. You've tormented her. You've abused her. You can't give her. I want you to say, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, I break the curse of the bastard. I break the curse of the bastard. On my children. On my children. God has forgiven me for the sin. God has forgiven me for the sin. And I break that curse. And I break that curse. Now, my book, Curse Breaking, has got a whole chapter on that subject. You can read it later, but just trust me, it's a powerful curse. Oh, here it is. Here it is, right here. By my book. You know, Jesus never interrupted an exorcism to say, go read my scrolls. See Peter at the merch table. Okay. And I'm not saying you're a bad person, okay? I'm not putting moral judgments on you. It's just the way it works, okay? Jezebel, you've been trying to get this woman her whole life. Jezebel, you can't keep her. You can't keep her. Yeah, Jezebel, is the Jezebel. Say hi, Jezebel. sign of a great spiritual deliverance is hyperventilation. <laughs> and then she was still experiencing the trauma of the exorcism of what it was like for this thing to go. And the body just keeps going. You had a great deliverance. All right? Amen. 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 Who did this for you? Don't forget to breathe and relax. That's it for this episode's Get Your Exercise. 
I'm really sure we're going to be hearing from Bob Larson again. As far as bottom feeders go, he's, well, he's the top. Uh, I guess we should talk about a movie or something, right? This is still a movie podcast, right? I'm sure. Why not? (laughs) (laughs) That's how we trick people into listening. We're all, we're all, hey, devil movies, and then we stick fucking Bob Larson on them. (laughs) We're assholes. (laughs) Sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) So we actually did watch a movie for this episode, guys, and it's one that really got people going when it came out earlier this year. People that we love, people we trust, they all raved about how much they loved this movie. I fucking hated it. Me too. But in the interest of fairness, and in a shameless grab for good ratings, we decided to give it another go. Who knows? Maybe we were sober when we watched it the first time. I don't know. <laughs> I don't even remember, which, you know, happens a lot. So when we return, we'll get horny with Black Phillip and those goddamn yammering twins as we revisit The Witch. Back in two and two. Black Annis Horror Podcast, the podcast that will change your life forever. Repetition of the repetition. Is that a word? That is now a word. Intense. Zero whatevers. So insightful that you will question your place in the universe. You just said you wanted to see somebody stab a fish. Mind-blowing. That is not what... That's not... No. Inspiring. It's one of two things all the way through. Either predictable or stupid. Life-changing. This is going to be filled with spoilers. Black Anna's Horror Podcast. Exclusively available on the Legion Podcast Network. It's almost like a little advertisement. Yeah, the advert makes it sound so promising. Ready to speak to thee. This wilderness will not consume us. Who's there? You've cursed this family. This is witchcraft. (laughs) She placed a curse on me. Why have you turned against me? I saw it. The rate of evil! It's not safe! Not with them! Think And there it is, kids, the trailer for The Witch, released in February of this year, 2016. It's a movie that many people saw as an instant classic of the horror genre. X has been incredibly vocal about his dislike for the movie, but that was before we watched it again for this episode. 
I shall speaketh in old English during this entire segment. If <laughs> great, that's not going to get annoying fast. Here there be spoilers, so mind that thou not become butthurt when we revealeth the ending. Thou were warned it if. <laughs> that's not even a word. <laughs> yes, it is. All right, so if you don't know what The Witch is about um, by now, pretty much it's a 17th century New England. And there's, let's see, let's name off all the members of the family. There's William, who is, he's the daddy of the piece. And there's his wife, whose name is Catherine. And then you have all 20 children. Yeah, they're all, no kidding. Ugh, you think Protestants would know better. Um, There's Thomason, the oldest daughter. There's Caleb, who is the, the, the son, and then there's the two twins, Mercy and Jonas. So these guys are Puritans, literally Puritans, like you read you about. Missed... What? There's a baby, too, Samuel. He's in the movie for fucking three minutes. It doesn't matter. He's still one of the cast members, and he was, a, he was okay. an awesome. <laughs> okay. So there's Samuel, and but the thing is, they have Samuel after they leave the Puritan settlement. He was oh, born on the he was, he was yeah he was born on, on on the farm, but the fact is that William makes his family leave the Puritan settlement because they're not strict enough. Like these Puritans are just not. <laughs> they're so lax in their interpretation of the New Testament. He's like, nope, can't have this heresy. We gotta go. We're so pure, we can't be amongst you Puritans. That's right. So they head out, they build a farm out by the edge of the woods, away from the Puritan settlement, and that's when Catherine gives birth to Samuel, because he's like, what, two months old during the important part? Mm, yeah, something like that. Okay. So Thomason um, takes Samuel out to the woods, and she's playing peekaboo with the kid, and you know, putting her hands over her eyes, and boo, boo, here I am, boo, boo, I am. Well, she puts her hands over her eyes, and she's like, boo, and then when she looks down, the baby's gone, fucking, fucking disappeared, can't even, gone. No blood, no bones, nothing. But that's when we meet our first witch of the movie. And this witch has crept up and stolen Samuel and um, muddled him. And this is the first point in this movie where I stopped and looked at X and went, the fuck? I don't remember seeing this the first time we watched this. And we had a screener. We had a straight-up theatrical screener. And I was just like, what the fuck is this? How is this happening? But anyway, yeah, this witch takes the baby, puts it in a giant pestle. No, wait, a giant mortar. Whatever. What is the thing? I got my mortars and pestles confused. I hate it when I do that. That's led to a lot of embarrassing party situations. Anyway, she, <laughs> which grinds up the baby and smears it all over her naked body as a flying ointment. Yep. Baby fat. 
good for what ails you, man. It's good for something, apparently. <laughs> next scene, we see the witch in ecstasy, like, gyrating on a pole and floating up into the trees, which was pretty epic. Well, to be fair, witches are not the only people I've seen gyrating on poles. <laughs> but I admit to not ever having seen another one, you know, covered in baby fat and blood. Like, yeah, you don't get that much nowadays. No, not 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 at the Emerald Club. You don't see that shit there. Ew. So anyway, the family's really upset because, you know, as far as they know, their baby son was eaten by wolves or some shit. Um, And of course, Thomason, the the daughter who was watching the baby at the moment of his disappearance, uh, takes a lot of flack for that uh, from the mother. Well, yeah, she's like, you essentially lost your brother and now we'll never get him back. Right. This is probably bad. So uh, off go the menfolk into the forest and they're hunting for the baby and they're looking for whatever animal might have, you know, grabbed him by his fat little neck and dragged him off into the trees. Um, Meanwhile, back on the farm, the twins, Mercy and Jonas, are playing with the family's goat. And the goat's name is Black Philip. He is a black goat with really large curled horns. That's going to be important later, the curled horns. But they say that Black Philip speaks to them, and they spend a lot of time singing songs about Black, about Black Philip, which is really just creepy. Get back! You two, stop that! It's, well, yeah, for one thing, the mother who is so, like, tremendously overprotective lets these two, like, they're, like, what, six years old? Yeah. Two six-year-old kids play with this huge fucking horned goat that's aggressive (laughs) and keeps showing signs of aggression. And it's, like, no big deal. Yeah, kids, go out in the yard, play with Black Phillip. Why not? Black Phillip, Black Phillip, he has a spaceship. Black Philip, Black Philip, he'll give you a fat lip. I mean, just... It uh, is. It's main, main lyrics to these songs. I hate but they sing them through the whole movie. Oh, God, I hate those fucking kids. I just, ugh. Every time I see them, I just like, ugh, bash them. Bash them in the skull. <laughs> um. So anyway, next, Caleb is, decides to go out to hunt um, in the forest by himself. Um, and then Thomason, you know, takes kind of makes Caleb take her out with her. And um, their dog kind of, well, I'm trying to think of how I, of, of how to say this. Implodes? Well, while Thomason and Caleb are out in the forest, uh, Caleb gets lost, which means really don't let Thomason watch anything. <laughs> it's certainly escalating to that. Don't let her watch, like, plants grow. Because she'll, where's all the corn? I don't know. Thomason was watching the corn. Now it's gone. <laughs> um, so, yeah, he, Caleb kind of goes out in the forest and he finds this little, like, cottage. 
and there's obviously someone home because there's smoke coming up through the chimney and this woman appears at the door and um she's hot <laughs> yeah she is pretty hot she is hot if you know if you have to give a witch a name she is witch bodice ripper she's cleavage all up in that so caleb says why certainly i have time for a cup of tea i'd love to come in and see your hovel that would be great um but while they're making out the witch's hand like turns like old it's all gnarly and wrinkly and shit and she grabs him and pulls him in so mm-hmm. now thomason who was out in the woods finds her dad her dad's looking for her and caleb and she's like well don't really know where caleb is sorry lost him too batting a thousand <laughs> so caleb comes home in the rain but there are some important plot points that happened um prior to this there are there are important plot points that kind of show how discord and chaos is popping up um and they seem to be kind of isolated incidents but they're all just like a symptom of the batshit crazy stuff that's about to happen to this family. And so it just all kinds of piles on top of each other and then, you know, culminates at the end. But um, like, you know, first of all, Samuel disappears just randomly out of the blue one day in this, this beautiful um, sunny day when they're playing in the yard. It's very innocent. So the family's all stressed and grieving about that. Um uh, the father, William, takes Caleb out um, hunting. He's laying traps in the forest, but his wife doesn't know about it. So they got the traps because he sold this like silver chalice that belonged to her father without telling her about it. Like he was going to keep it as a surprise, kind of like, oh, look at all these animals I have. We're going to live through the winter. Oh, by the way, sorry, had to sell your silver chalice. So that comes up. And in order to cut father, Caleb flat out tells a fucking lie to his mother's face about where they were that morning so that she wouldn't get upset and like start yelling at his dad and so that his dad wouldn't have to tell her that he sold the silver chalice. So that was one. We're Puritans. We don't tell women anything. Right, right. Exactly. They don't deserve. There's two lies, two pretty big lies right there in a row. Um, there's another point when, um, uh, oh, Black Phillip starts to, like, attack the kids, the, those two yammering twins, and the I father... Would yeah, I know, I would too. <laughs> but the father has to step in and, like, rein Black Phillip in, and he falls down in the mud, and, uh, the mother yells at Thomason for like not watching the kids and Thomason's like, well, I told them and they didn't listen to me, but you know, still Thomason's having to take the heat. So, um, and then let's see there. Oh, there's twice on in, in between here where the camera catches Caleb, like checking out Thomason's cleavage. <laughs> Because she's coming into womanhood and she's starting to get tits and Caleb's noticing. And, um, yeah. Let's see what else. Oh, there was the part where Thomason was down by the the little creek that runs through the property uh, washing her father's clothes. And that little shithead Mercy comes up and starts yeah, running her mouth. And Thomason gets up. Yeah, that's an important part. I'm sorry. Go ahead. And yeah, yeah. Just, no, it's okay. I just interjected. <laughs> if. Well, Thomason gets fed up with her, 
and Mercy's going on about the witch in the wood and how the witch is the one that stole the baby. And Thomason's like, I am the witch in the wood. And there's a like really intense part where she wrestles Mercy to the ground and tells her that she's going, she's dying to eat her pink flesh. And just, she just says all kinds of horrible stuff and scares the piss out of Mercy. And then she makes her swear not to tell their mom and dad. And uh, so Mercy runs off screaming, convinced that that Thomason is indeed the Witch of the Wood. Um, and uh, it sounds like something I, was... I would have told like our kids when they were little. No. <laughs> I am the Witch of the Wood, and I will eat your pig flesh. I will nibble your earlobes off, lad. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. I feel like I'm missing one other one, but that's all I can think of now. So Well, because we're still dealing with Caleb, who is currently in the witch's house, getting his mind blown, if nothing else, by this old old witch who looked young and tricked him, which I think they call that a trap house, is what the witch's place is. Um, so anyway, nobody can find Caleb, but he comes home the next day, and he's naked and he's sick he's delirious he's got a fever and his mother's like you know what i bet this is witchcraft <laughs> because at this point you know what everything's fucking witchcraft <laughs> when you're more puritan than puritan and you make your own farm at the edge of the you know the fucking last house on the left then yeah everything is witchcraft um but the next day caleb like starts hacking and he and he coughs up an apple yeah it's a little crab apple and that's just really weird and then he has like one of the fucking best like i'm about to die speeches oh yeah His i've moment ever of heard in my life the kid goes full-on rod parsley just straight Pentecostal craziness. Put me into your lap, Jesus. I want to feel your loins. Just weird, <laughs> crazy shit. <laughs> and this goes on for about, I don't know, five minutes? Well, yeah, that was a pretty intense scene, too, though, because the kids, the, the two twins, actually call out Thomason during this thing and uh, call her a witch, and they start convulsing on the floor, kind of mimicking what's happening to Caleb. It's very, uh, it's very Salem witch seasons. trials, too. Yeah. Yeah, that <laughs> laying down, you know, flopping like a fish. That's that's mm -hmm. straight from the witch trials. So that's, yeah, so that's crazy. So now everyone just doesn't know what to do. The twins say Thomason's a witch. The mother already thinks Thomason's a witch. But that could potentially be because Thomason is young and pretty. And her mother, who's probably like 28, looks like right. Quasimodo because she's lived such a hard, horrible life. And pumped out seven children. Yeah, <laughs> She is an ovipositor. She's the queen alien. Just blorp, and there's another one. Blorp, there's another one. Awesome. So anyway, right. so anyway, the twins are like, oh, Thomason's a witch. And Thomason's like, well, you little fuckers talk to the goat. You talk to, what is your problem? So Caleb dies. The mother freaks out, and she's, like, unreachable. She's off in her own little world of despair. So William, the father, takes the twins and Thomason and boards them up into the barn with Black Philip. Yep. And Thomason pleads with him while he's boarding up the, the doorway. She's like, it's not safe. Please don't leave me in here. And he's like, too bad. Nope. <laughs> Puts Citizens another nail on the door. Citizens rest! Get in the <laughs> barn! <laughs> yeah. 
And that's when shit really hits the fan. Yeah, it really goes south fast. Yeah, the mother starts, it's nighttime, obviously. The kids are all boarded up in in the fucking <laughs> barn with the goats and whatever other animals are in there. And um, William and, and his wife are in bed. And she just gets up in the middle of the night and... Caleb is there holding Samuel, the baby, and she's talking to them, and Caleb is talking and barely above a whisper, and um, she takes Samuel to feed him because he starts crying. She's like, oh, Samuel's hungry, so she takes him to start breastfeeding him, and and it goes, I think it cuts, doesn't cut back to the barn where the kids are in, in there with Black Phillip, and then when it comes back, there's a fucking raven sitting on her lap just pecking the shit out of her tit man just blood pouring down nipple meat flying and you're like holy shit that is really kind of disturbing meanwhile back at the barn (laughs) caleb and mercy and thomason um kind of wake up from i'm what i'm sure was a very troubled sleep and there's like this old woman and she's latched on to this white goat drinking its blood. Buck-ass naked. Yeah, buck and, and how she got into the barn, I'll never know. But there she was, just sucking goat blood. And like you next, do. Well, pff, it's an integral part of some cocktails. <laughs> I hear it's delicious and adds that kind of proteiny kick that you need for some martinis. Um, right on. But the next day, William goes outside stables all torn down it's all fucked up all the wood is kicked out the goats are dead they've been stripped of their skins the fucking twins are gone and thomason's just lying there with blood all over her mm-hmm. things don't look good for this girl and of course she's uh-huh. like i have no idea what's going on so sorry can't help you and her dad's like you are a bloody girl <laughs> you you did something but after this comes one of the great mysteries of, of the witch that I just, I, I, I understandeth it not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At this point, the father's standing there looking at her and talking to her. And suddenly he gets gored by Black Philip, who butts him head on. Yet somehow his horns that are curved back almost touching his shoulder blades have pierced his side and he is bleeding to death let's say you get gored by a deer okay you get gored by a deer and those antlers are they're they're straight they're coming at you so it makes sense that it looks like you've been gutted like a halibut right but black phillips horns literally go back towards his head and the points do not come out past his head so how he got gored by this it's like being gored by a bump car <laughs> it really is i don't it know man can't happen i don't get it those fucking horns are curved back so far they're almost touching its shoulder blades so yes. he like would have had to tuck his head back and licked his own nuts and ran straight <laughs> forward in order for that to be possible <laughs> That's that's it. That's what happened. Black Philip was licking his own nuts, and that's how he gored William. Oh, that's pure physics right there. It is. Yeah. So anyway, Daddy's dead. Thanks, quantum physics horned goat. <laughs> Catherine just fucking loses it. 
oh, yeah. gone, husband's dead. This has all got to be Thomason's fault because, you know, budding tits and menstruation, that is the devil itself right there. Being a woman that is so she says, oh, my God, it's your fault that my husband's dead, and it's your fault that the twins are gone. Tries to strangle her. Mm-hmm. Just knocks her down, starts choking the shit out of her. And Thomason's like, excuse me, fuck this. Slices her mother's face open with a sickle that's on the ground next to them and kills her mother. Yeah. So she's got matricide under her belt, if nothing else. Um, He was completely, really, literally, completely innocent up to this point. The only thing that Thomason did wrong up to this point was instead of telling her, well, no, that wasn't what I was going to say. But instead of telling her parents, she went with Caleb into the woods and that's when they got in trouble. But I kind of felt like that was her being a big sister more so than like trying to do something wrong. But the only other thing that she did that could be even slightly construed as wrong was when she lost her temper with Mercy down by the creek and told her that she was the witch of the wood. Everything else, Thomason was completely fucking innocent. She was trying her best to do what her parents asked of her. You know, there was a scene where it showed her praying and being prostrate before God. And, you know, she really was trying. So completely had nothing to do with any of this bullshit. And then all of a sudden she's about to be murdered by her own mother. So she strikes back and ends up killing her instead. Which I think happened on a Halloween episode of Roseanne. <laughs> if it didn't, it should have. Yeah. So anyway, Daddy's dead, Mommy's dead. Who knows where the fuck the twins are? They're off yabbering to themselves and that weird twin language of theirs. And that's okay because that night is when Thomason finally speaks Black Philip. Yeah, I guess she figures at this point, what the fuck do I have to lose? I'm going to die living out here in the wilderness by myself. These Christians do not want me on their team. (laughs) I have tried to play by their rules, and I have gotten smacked back down every time. I want to talk to the goat. Which I I think I said this when we were watching it last night, but I could my my fifteen year old self really related to Thomason in this movie. It's like son of a bitch, I am trying my best to do everything right, and I am still being blamed for shit, and I'm still being accused of doing shit that I am absolutely not doing. So you know what? Fuck this game. I'm not playing it anymore. I'm just gonna do what I want to do from now on. <laughs> it makes sense. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. What doesn't make sense is when Thomason talks to the goat and the goat talks back. And then the goat turns <laughs> into And then the goat turns into a guy. Yeah. <laughs> and he's kinda skeevy. He's walking I, around her talking in this whispery voice, tells her to take off her what shift. did he call that garment? Shift. A shift. That's right. Remove tells her to shift. Take off. <laughs> yeah. And then makes her sign the book. Which she does, willingly. And then, my favorite scene in the movie. Oh, where she goes bolting buck-ass naked through the forest? With Black Phillip in goat form behind her? Leads her to a coven of nude witches around a fire? Yeah, and then she flies, laughing ecstatically. It's beautiful. It is awesome. Yeah. That's where it ends. Now... 
one of my big complaints about the movie is that's where I wanted the, the story to begin. Yeah. I want, <laughs> I want more of that. I want more of Thomason in the woods with the wild women being free, flying around, eating babies. I don't give a fuck. At least she's away from that horrible family of hers. Right. At least she's independent and self-actualized and enjoying being human. Yeah. And that's where the movie ends. And it really, it's, it's, it's an empowering ending. It, it's so much about, it's, it's so much about choice and freedom and liberation just in those last few shots. It's mind blowing. I mean, you could read fucking 800 sociology books and still not get that kind of, of closure and joy that you need for that character and for women in general. I think it's just, I think it's amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I ended up really, really like enjoying that. And I, I think I said out loud at least four times while we were watching it. I do not fucking remember that from the first time we watched this. Okay. So I don't know how, what? We drank a lot. So not remembering part of a movie, that's just part of my life. I will fall asleep during a movie, wake up, and think I've seen the whole thing. Not remembering like 80% of the movie? That's not like me. So I I don't know how high I was when we watched it the first time, but I must have been severely, severely abbreviated to... uh, You know what else, though? You know what else, though? Closed captions help. Oh, fuck yes, people. Closed captions are a fucking godsend for this movie. But you know what? No, no, no. We're we're jumping ahead of ourselves in this game. We're jumping ahead. because No, no, no. It's cool. It's just that what we need to do... (coughs) Excuse me. What we need to do is take a break. Here endeth the witch. We will be back after this break with three questions where we'll really talk about the vavitch. Hey, Cherish. It's 8 o'clock. Is it time to get the show on the screen or what? Do you enjoy watching films with friends? Do you like to consume vats of alcohol? It's the 40s and some bitches, babe. Yeah! Me? I like beer. If you like all that and none of those artsy-fartsy films... Does this mean we don't get to go to the Fellini Festival? Fuck the Fellini Festival! Then watch and listen to Two Drink Minimum Commentaries. Every Wednesday, myself and a rotating panel of the filthiest podcasters I can muster up give you our comments, observations, and sometimes we might actually talk about the film as we class up some of your favorite films the only way we know how, as raunchy as we can. What's this movie, PG? Oh, yeah. This podcast is fucking... Not only do you get the audio, but the video that goes with it. Just listen to the shit that comes out of these filthy pirates. (laughs) You don't need to get an erection when your cock's full of rigor mortis. (laughs) Fucking curb stomp a baby for a bacon. I think the moral of the story is don't let Corky run Cerebro. Unforgivable. If you could stand all that, come and get your fill and your fix of Two Trick Minimum Commentaries. All the cool kids are doing it. Two Trick Minimum Commentaries is a proud member of the Legion Podcast Network. Welcome back to Kiss the Goats. It's time for America's favorite game of quasi criticism three questions. Three questions! Who would cross the bridge of death must answer me these questions, 
where we find out if the movie we just watched should be watched by you. Question number one. Was this actually a devil movie? Oh, um, maybe? <laughs> I think it's a devil movie, but it's interesting in the fact that the devil ends up kind of being the good guy. The devil's kind of a minor player in this one. I think it's a devil movie with a focus on witches. I think it's a witch movie with a focus on goats. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> you contrary bastard. <laughs> no, I'm being a dick. Um, it's, it's, you're right. I mean, it is witches. And if you believe that witches are an instrument of the devil, then I'm sure you could see it as a devil movie. And yes, Black Phillip does ask Thomasina to sign the book, which is classic, you know, sell your soul kind of material. But I don't see it as, this isn't Faustian. This isn't a bad thing. This is her gaining independence. It's her gaining freedom. It's... Uh, it was the only choice left to her besides, you know, starvation, death, and madness. Maybe not in that order. <laughs> yes, yes, but you're waxing poetic now. The question was not, is this an evil movie or a devil is bad movie? It was, is this a devil movie? No. No? It's not a devil movie? Didact, no. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a witch movie. It's not a devil movie. Like I said, unless you think witches are instruments of the devil, which I don't. So, what do you think? I mean, you obviously think I'm wrong. <laughs> um, I don't necessarily think that you're wrong. Um, it's definitely a witch movie, but I think it's also a devil movie. The devil's in it from the beginning under the guise of a goat, and then he shows up in a humanoid form at the end before he turns back into a goat, which is obviously his preferred form. And you he see is his hand. What? You see his hand. You see his torso as he's walking around behind her too. And you hear his voice. And I okay. I feel like I feel like he is the one that has been the puppet master for everything that happened in this movie. And he is out there actively recruiting witches. I disagree with you on part of that. Okay. I do not think that he has been masterminding everything that's gone on in the movie. I think he's been sitting idly by waiting for it to happen. This kind of what his servants are doing in his name. <clears throat> this family was on the verge of self-destruction anyway. They had tremendous hubris. They lived under incredible repression. Shit, just wait and see what happens. That's what I would have done, because it's obviously going to turn out to your favor if you're the devil. <laughs> just sit back and pop some popcorn and watch the show. Exactly. It's like waiting for fireworks to go off. Okay. All right, All right question two. <laughs> Question two on a scale of one to five, how many devil horns do you give of the Vivich? Hmm. <clears throat> it loses points for me because it it really is kind of a slow burn. And the first time I watched it, obviously, I was so like bored by it that I didn't remember 80% of the movie. Um, but on rewatch, and probably a lot more sober, <laughs> I really quite enjoyed it. And with closed um, captions. And closed captions. That helps a lot. <clears throat> so we're doing one to five, not one to six like we normally do. Fine. One to six. I we haven't done a show in months, so I forgot. Yes, one to six. Sorry. <laughs> okay, so out of six horns, 
six six. Hmm. Uh huh. See. Have another cootie. Uh, I would give it a solid four. Okay, four out of six. That's not bad. Yeah. Um, I hate to say this. I really do hate to say this because I spent a lot of time yelling at people on the internet about what a shitball movie this is. And now that I've watched it a second time, and I've gotten the close cut, because let's face it, 80% of the dialogue in this movie sounds like this. You can, like, hear the indignation, but not actual words. <laughs> yeah. I hate, I hate saying this, because <laughs> I spent so much time uh, talking about how this movie was a horrible, horrible piece of shit. And I thought it misrepresented witchcraft. I thought it misrepresented goats. I thought it misrepresented teenage girls. I was just all indignant about the whole thing. Now that I've watched it again and really watched it and had the fucking captions on so that I can hear what's actually being said instead of just hearing some old guy being like, Which is really what it sounds like when you don't have the captions on. It just sounds like, you know, indignance with extra syllables. But, right. holy shit, this movie's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I can't believe I just didn't understand it from the get-go. It's amazing, and I'm going to give it a four and a half. Nice. Right. Uh, so the final question, number three, is why should our listeners watch The Witch, or should they? I think I, I think they should. I, I I am interested by the fact that the director refers to it as a New England folk tale. Um, that fascinates me because you can take it on kind of that fictional fairy tale level, but it's a lot deeper than that. It has a lot more of a message than I initially thought, um, and I think it's an amazingly empowering film and probably one of the best pieces of feminist cinema I have seen since the original Carrie. Mm. So yeah, watch it, but goddamn, turn those captions on. They're going to help you. <laughs> yeah, I agree. You should check it out. Um, especially if like myself as a kid, uh, you loved reading and you read Grimm's fairy tales and you read Hans Christian Andersen and you got caught up in those stories with just these really dark, dark storylines that just kind of, I don't know, just kind of, excuse me, just kind of grabbed you and sucked you into the story and made you like actually afraid, you know, those, those stories that make you hide under the covers and listen for the sounds at your windowsill of some creature outside, because that this story was very evocative of that, that um, just old fairy tale vibe. And for that, I loved it. Um, the, the family is, they came over from England. So, you know, the, they're in this new world and they're longing to go back home, back home to England and everything is, uh, it was very beautifully done, <clears throat> I think. But, um, yeah, like X said, turn on the goddamn captions because otherwise you're, you're not going to understand it unless you're English and then you might be okay. <laughs> um, I don't know. But, uh, or if you go to like a lot of Renaissance fairs from, from here in the good old U.S. of A., I, I struggled with it sometimes. But um, yeah. Yeah, if you go to like a lot of Ren fairs, maybe I don't know, watch 
BBC programming a lot. Maybe you'll have a better time. <laughs> well, I do watch a lot of that. Is the I thing. <laughs> I don't know. This is like this is like old school. It's mumblecore. It's yeah. mumblecore. That's all it is. I'm surprised <laughs> Joe Swanberg wasn't on set going. Y'all are talking way too plain. Could you please stare at your shoes while you're talking? Because um, you're just you're way too intelligible. Um, <laughs> Right on. But yeah, totally worth watching. Extremely good. Way better than I initially gave it credit for. Um, so yeah, The Witch The Witch is a lot of fun. It's very authentic, too. That's as far as I fucking know. Well, I know about the 16th century. <laughs> it's like people who get it mad at Star Trek for not being realistic enough. It's a fantasy, you fuck. Um, but I mean, everything from like how... Uh, how the cabin looked, the way that they planted their crops, the way that they had everything kind of, you know, they were constantly fucking worried about about food. And the point is made within the film that um, um, William is a terrible hunter. He's bad with traps. He's a terrible shot. So, you know, he's not going to come home with a fucking you know, brace of conies like Samwise because he sucks at this. So that's... <laughs> That's that, that's that's something that I that tension is there a lot. And one thing that I was curious about is really, what would you eat on that farm? How would you how would you survive? You know, um, one of those really shitty cold. I don't know where they were. Massachusetts, New England. It's all the same to me. It's all just big like it's all like big like one big lump of ice right up there <laughs> at the corner of the country. You know. Yeah. So I don't know anything about that, but what I do know is that we have somebody who understands what these people would eat, and it's time to introduce another new segment to Kiss the Goat. This segment is called "The Devil Eats Out." Please welcome our good friend and our favorite lapsed Catholic, Alan McPherson, who's going to talk us through a recipe that goes right along with the witch. So you can watch it, you can cook for it, you can drink through it. We are a goddamn entertainment machine on KTG, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. This is "The Devil Eats Out." You, you can have dinner with us. You like head cheese. My brother makes it real good. You like it. And you know what he said too? Right, bananas. You put them in a bowl and you put some sugar and you go ahead and bake it for 400. You can go ahead and pull it out and have yourself banana bread. Hallelujah. Pancakes. Pancakes. No pancakes. Pancakes! No pancakes! No, I'm full. Howdy, Acolytes. Uh, this is uh, Chef Al McPherson, or Uncle Al, Kitty's pal, if you prefer. I might not prefer. Uh, talking to you from Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada, where I'm presently in my restaurant, uh, Picnic, uh, in uh, the middle of the afternoon, preparing for the launch of our new menu and art show, uh, which is our Halloween-themed show, kind of devoted to our good friend Alice Cooper. And... Uh, Today, we're not so much talking about, but cooking about uh, the witch, or the vavitch, if you're really uh, cheeky. Um, So, we wanted to put together a dish that would kind of uh, thematically link up uh, with this film. And just a quick mention, uh, I think I I can say pretty confidently, in 10 years' time, maybe less, 
we're gonna look at The Witch as a movie. You know, once we move past this whole, is it a horror film? Is it not a horror film? Did the marketing ruin the movie and all the you're not a real horror fan hand ringing and all of that sort of followed the release? Uh, I think we're going to be able to look back at this film as one that's really emblematic of the time we're living in right now, 2015, 2016, probably 2017, hopefully not 18. Um, when you're looking at a situation where you have an already fairly conservative but somewhat functioning society, uh, and then it is confronted by false vain piety and, hey, let's get even more conservative than you guys, and leaving themselves the, this ultra-conservative faction who uh, has decided that being merely conservative is not good enough the point where you open yourself up and become vulnerable to a very real extent threat from outside. Um, yeah. Does it uh, kind of remind people of anything that's going on right now? I don't know. Um, anyway, when it comes to linking up some food to go with this movie, as I was telling Ax, um, I don't think I've ever uh, paired a dish to go with a scenario where the very real threat of starvation is a factor, so that's kind of an interesting uh, way to wrap your head around. But um, we were thinking about lamb would be uh, an appropriate uh, protein to go with this. So, for a couple of reasons, there's obviously the uh, uh, the religious symbolism that's tied up in lamb, but there's another aspect to, there's a couple aspects to lamb that I think make it a good choice for the witch. One is of all the animals that are raised for their meat, lamb is pretty significant in that it can't be fed, they can't be fed uh, commercial feed. They have to be pasture animals, they have to feed off of grass. So if you take the same herd stock and transplant it to another part of the world and it starts eating the grasses and the herbs that are growing there, you're immediately going to be changing the taste and the character of the meat. The fat content will change, the color of the meat will change. It is one of the few meats in this day and age that you can really sense where it came from uh, and its connection to the land that it was raised on more than any other. And uh, I think with the wish where you have uh, this transplanted culture off in a, in a land that's new to it, uh, and all of a sudden, the rules that got it there aren't working anymore, and everything has changed. I think lamb is symbolically a good, um, a good choice right off the bat. Lamb, of course, also grow up to be sheep, and sheep are uh, useful for not just their meat, but also for their wool. So it also ties into that sort of double bind of uh, momentary sustenance versus forward-looking, maybe, uh, you know, we'll, we'll eat good Sunday night, but uh, in a couple of years, you know, we could all have sweaters and not freeze to death. So there is that sort of uh, bargain and um, playing the odds and what you're willing to sacrifice now for the uh, long-term long -term game. Um, one of the things about Lamb that I always come back to is the idea of the shepherd's pie. And to me, a shepherd's pie is like one of those perfect uh, flavor, I have, sometimes I, this sounds pretentious, but I, I would almost call it a flavor cord, where when you combine certain things in a specific pattern, 
you get something that's greater than the sum of their parts, or at least different. So with a shepherd's pie, very simple dish, you know, essentially potatoes, lamb, and carrots. There is a wonderful harmony between them where the, uh, the funkiness of the lamb fat melts down into the sweetness of the carrots, and then everything is sort of taken and leveled out by uh, you know, just sort of the neutral creaminess, neutral starchiness of uh, mashed potato. It always leads to a really good bite. So I've always loved playing around with those certain combinations. So here we have an agrarian family. Everything goes south. The rules change. Um, Actually, because they changed the rules, what we're going to do is we're going to change up. They're uh, they're probably eaten at some point shepherd's pie. So what we're going to start with is rather than a mince, we're going to go with. Uh, for my purposes, I'm using a duo of lamb. So we're going to have a little bit of a roasted leg, just a tiny bit. Mainly, what we want off of that is the drippings and the fat to render out into a pan, and uh, we're going to pair that off with a. a uh, double cut rack of lamb, so a couple of the nice uh, rounded lamb, uh, sometimes called a lollipop or a chop. And so those are going to be the source of that. We're not going to muck around with those two too much. Um, but the big thing is what you're going to do is you're going to sear all of your lamb pieces, start it off on a high heat, let some of that uh, some of that fat render off the cap, that waxy fat cap on the lamb chop, and get that into the pan. And then once you've got a little bit of color on those, take them off to the side and you'll finish them later. At this point, what you have is some hot lamb fat and you're going to add to that some whole, like if you have nice quality carrots, put them in a hole in that fat and then roast them in there for a good long time. And when I say a good long time, you don't move them around, keep them in that pan. A bit of salt, a bit of pepper, maybe a pinch of sugar as the time goes on. But you want we kind of cook it from one side and not the other. So you're going to get like one part of the skin on the carrot. Like it's going to start to black and kind of crack a little bit, almost like you were doing it over a wood fire. And you're just going to let that go and let the heat carry through the rest of the carrot. And just when it's kind of like kind of wilting on one side, throw it in the oven and just let it finish off there. So the potato component, what I used is a, um, is a horseradish uh, mashed potato, but I'm not using the preserved horseradish or even the horseradish root. Uh, what I've done is sauteed some horseradish leaves, which are kind of like a nice uh, wild growth that a lot of people overlook. It's kind of like, I don't know, Anglo-Saxon arugula. It's, uh, it's peppery, it's got some bite, but it doesn't have that real astringency that you associate with horseradish root. So that's just going in some straight up buttery mashed potatoes. And then to add a little something to that, um, what do they call them? Is it a tostone? Uh, it's basically like a riff on a South American uh, dish that they would do with uh, with plantains or yams. But what, uh, what I'm going to do with I'm going to take essentially like a whole like baby potato, and we're going to drop that in a deep fryer, and we're just going to let that fry real slow uh, at a low oil. And then when it's like kind of looking blackened and it's getting kind of soft. You pop it out of the fat, and while it's still hot, you slam that in a tortilla press, and it'll just like flatten it. So you have the creamy middle part and the exterior crunchy bit, and it's gonna get flattened out like a cracker. So you're gonna make a couple of those, finish it with a little salt, smear your mashed, smear, smear your mashed in between two layers of this potato. And then when you get everything ready, uh, say your carrots are still rocking in the oven. Uh, Put your lamb pieces back in there, 
it's a controversial thing. If you like it rare, medium rare, cooked all the way through, I'm not going to judge. I like mine rare. Uh, so it's only going to take like two minutes. And just let the carrots and lamb finish together. Get them onto a plate. So I like uh, I sent uh, I sent in a photo of an example. So what I did there is I kind of braid our carrots on the bottom into themselves. We're going to rest their like uh, potato ice cream sandwich deal on the top of that, and then we're going to slice the lamb leg. That's going to rest on top of our potato medallion, and then we're going to do a little like popping devil horn bone crisscross action with their uh, uh, with their uh, chops. And I did finish it off with a little bit of a sauce, which is actually just basically, I took all the lamb trim uh, from peeling off like membrane and stuff like that off of a leg of lamb that I had, uh, and some more uh, like nice sweet carrot pieces. Just roasted those all together, deglaze it with some wine, puree that up in a blender, and uh, there you go. So there's your like sort of like sweet and funky uh, lamb carrot sauce on the bottom. And uh, feel like trying it. That's all good. I, uh, I hope to have something typed up and disseminated if anyone's interested. But um, that's what we have going on, and uh, I hope you all enjoy. Um, and don't forget to live life deliciously. See ya. Thank you, Alan. Hey, if you're in the Nova Scotia, Halifax area, I don't know how many listeners we have in Nova Scotia, but we should have... Uh, all of- all There's only them. 12 people that live there, right? <laughs> Is that right? Is that accurate? I haven't I checked. Know. I haven't checked the the Nova Scotia census. That's fun to say. That's a great band name. I don't know, but hey, if you're in Halifax, Nova Scotia, do drop by Picnic, Alan McPherson's restaurant. You're bound to have a great time. The guys, a fucking genius as far as planning menus, and he's just a lot of fun to talk to. So yeah, go check out Picnic. Yeah. You know, I think that yeah, the family. I do think that the family in the witch would have been a lot less uptight if they had built a still out there in the woods, you know? That would have helped me get through the long New England winter for sure. Yeah, man. Well, it certainly helped me get through a movie about the long New England winter so I can see that your logic is sound. That's right. So with that in mind, let's play America's favorite drinking game, Drinking with the Devil, where your love of movies beats your disdain for your own liver. Uh, so I'm going to start you guys off light with this one. I'm going to have you drink every time you catch Caleb scoping out his sister's tits. <laughs> That's the surreptitious drink. That's where you take a shot and nobody else notices. Exactly. It's like a shot like to the side of your mouth and not just full on. Uh, I'm going to say drink anytime you see um, William cutting wood like George Lutz to the Amityville Horror just chopping logs over and Ooh. over again. Because that's all Good he can time. do. <laughs> We're escalating here. Next one, drink every time you see old witch ass. Jesus. <laughs> Uh, drink every time you want to slap the living shit out of those goddamn yammering twins and their fucking songs about Black Phillip. Goddamn. Just bang their heads together like orchestral cymbals. Bang! (laughs) Okay, okay, okay. So we're escalated even further now. Next, I want you to drink every time Catherine is sobbing in a corner somewhere. (laughs) Oh, 
Oh my god, that's awesome. We're going to kill everybody. <laughs> Alright, so for the Grandmaster Challenge, I say that you should drink every time you grab the fucking remote control to turn up the volume to try to figure out what the fuck those people are saying. Oh my god. <laughs> that's perfect. I mean, that's perfect. It's perfect. <laughs> Please remember that we don't condone underage drinking or drinking to excess, but it's always, always worked for, for us. <laughs> well, now it's time to hear from you folks, our long-suffering acolytes, with this episode's edition of America's Favorite Game of Questioning and Answering, Ask the Goats, in which we answer your questions and you question our answer. Cussing your love letter. Straight from my heart, fucker! You know what a love letter is? a bullet from a fucking gun, fucker. You receive a love letter from me. You're fucked forever. Um, we're doing things a little bit differently now with Ask the Goat because we want you guys to get more involved as we as we change the show up a little bit. We're gonna try to ask you to let us hear your voices. Um, so Ask the Goat now is kind of like our version of a call-in show. I don't mean a shitty call-in show, like, you know, Dr. Drew or, um, you know, anything to do with sports, but 865-309-4969. That is the number for the GOAT line. You can call us at any time and leave a message, and if your question is funny enough or cool enough, smart enough, and people like you, (laughs) then we will download that question from our voicemail box and we will play it on the show and then we will answer it. So it's like you talking to us without you actually having to talk to us, which is probably way better for you. Perfect for those of us with social anxiety. Precisely. Precisely. We don't have to see you. We don't have to meet you. Just, Hey, just leaving a message. Here's this funny question. I got to go by. And there you go. So you can call us again. 865-309-4969. Open 365-247. Leave us a message at any time. Or... Or you can actually record your question in an MP3 format and email it to askthegoat at kissthegoat.com. That way we can just, again, download that. We'll take your file. We'll answer it on the show. You get to be a part of the fastest-growing podcast about devil movies and cooking and drinking and other. This is really an information-packed show, isn't it? There is a lot going. There's a lot going on. That's that's crazy. Um, let's get to our first question. Boom. Hello, Cootie and X. This is Vanessa McEnery in Brooklyn. I have a, I think, a question that many of us have on our minds. Considering the absurdity of the U.S. presidential election right now, if Black Philip were to elect to win the election, what do you see as the first 100 days of his presidency? Please, discuss. Thank you. (laughs) That's a good question, Vanessa. Jesus Christ. Uh, Let's see. I imagine the first 100 days and probably uh, every day after that would be um, a lot of killing of men and a lot of naked women running around uh, chasing toddlers and babies and flying through forests. That's that's pretty much what I envision that being like. 
So a lot like the Nixon administration. Yeah, a lot like that. See, I just see him wandering around Senate and Congress going, sign the book. You want to sign the book? <laughs> a signature for this bill. Sign for it right here in this book. Just trying to gather all the souls that he possibly can of shitty, corrupt senators and Congress people. So, mm, well, Does he really have to do, be that book. formal to get those souls? Because i got to imagine those fuckers already got one foot in hell as it well, is. If they think he's a lobbyist, it's going to be like crazy. <laughs> <laughs> There's like slush money involved. <laughs> Okay, let's go to our second question now. Hey, guys, this is Matt the Angry Ginger. I had a couple questions for Ask the Goat. First one being, supposing the devil had time for a vacation, where do you think he would go? And my other question is for both 2D and X, uh, what's your favorite subgenre of horror? I'm not sure if that's already been asked before, but I'm going to go ahead and ask it again. Anyways, because I'm that kind of guy. Love the show. I'm glad to hear you coming back. Peace. Matthew, great questions, dude. Uh, you did the smart thing and put two questions into one question. That that saves time and money at the pump, and we really appreciate that. Um, where would the devil go on vacation? Pro- Death Valley. <laughs> Just first thing that I thought would be Death Valley, because, you know, it's hot and he likes the name. Um, favorite subgenre? Um, besides devil movies, of course, because that's really kind of top top the game for me. I love nature gone crazy movies. I love, oh, yeah. I love eco-horror movies. Grizzly, Food of the Gods, Day of the Animals, Squirm. Just those movies from the 70s where all of a sudden animals are attacking people for no fucking reason. Or if there is a reason, it's because of the deterioration of the ozone layer. Oh, God, those movies just get me going. I love them. So, yeah, anytime <laughs> I get anytime I get to sit down and spend time watching a uh, nature gone amok me, I'm, I'm really happy. That's good. Um, Well, after your answer to Vanessa's question, I'm kind of thinking that Satan might like to vacation in D.C. Um, Wow. Well, yeah, yeah, go and just, you know, that's like easy work, right? So you can see the sights, collect a few souls while you're there. It's good times. Well, since we know Satan lives in Arkansas. It wouldn't be that far of a drive, right? not that far of a drive, right? <laughs> um, but as far as my my favorite subgenre of of horror films, um, I it's gotta be Giallo, dude, and probably specifically Fulci films, but Giallo in general because just because of the absurdity and the over top, uh, over the top. Um, writing and yeah, and the, the just crazy effects, and they're just a lot of fun. Like tits, yes, there's plenty <laughs> of tits and bush, and <laughs> ridiculous dialogue and bad dubbing, and they're just a lot of fun for me. That's awesome. Yeah, I love those too. Um, <clears throat> shit, maybe I should have changed my answer to your answer, then you would have had to come up with a new answer, which would have made me a dick. So I guess I should have done that. <laughs> 
fine. <laughs> Everything stands as it was. Hey, that's going to do it for this episode of Kiss the Goat. <laughs> yeah, guys, so join the Facebook page for exclusive stuff. You know, like that fucking Bob Larson video and crazy shit from our acolytes. Thanks to Bo at Legion Podcast for keeping our seat warm, but not in a creepy, literal sense. Right. And thank you, listeners, acolytes, and allies, for helping us keep this thing going. Until next time, my name is X. And I'm Pootie. Hell, We're never going to get those things up, are we? <laughs> That was beautiful. What was the last thing you heard out of my mouth? Um, I was still trying to. I was still talking about Caleb being naked in the rain. And I was singing Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah. So now that I had the captions and I understand more about what's going on, are you okay? What the fuck? I'm sorry. I was trying to cough away from the microphone, and okay. it's not. Okay. Oh, well, okay. No, it's cool. It's cool. I will start my part over. Are you okay? okay. Yes, I'm okay. Okay. I was making sure because I really said like we were about to throw up. I'm gonna hack a lemon. <laughs> weirder shit's happened on this show. There goes my spleen. <laughs> okay, sorry. Go ahead. Okay. Five, four, three. Okay. Ready? Yeah. Sorry about that. It's okay. We were excited. <laughs> I'm excited. This movie's amazing. <laughs> I'm really. Oh, do you hear that? Mm-hmm. Set us down in the world. Give me three minutes and we'll come back. Okay, I'm gonna pee while you're doing that. I figured you were. Okay. Well, let's 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 pull through uh, three questions. <laughs> okay. Give me a second. <laughs> you're right, we didn't. Fuck shit. <laughs> That's a good idea. Alright. So we'll put um So I will wing the fuck out of it. Wing it. Cowboy. I'm a winger. I am so much of a winger, I will sit here and sing 17. <laughs> I, know, I know nobody wants that. No, 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 no. Oh. Alright, well, you got the comeback. Alright. <laughs> Please record a message. Afterwards, your message will be played back to you. This better fucking work like a goddamn dream, or else I'm gonna be so mad at everybody.